Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Cardinals GM Steve Kime. Kime time. With Burns and Gambo. Presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford. Welcome back. It is the Burns and Gambo show here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. And every Friday at 3 o'clock, we talk all things Cardinals in this segment, in which we speak to the general manager of the Cardinals. Obviously, Steve Kime still on his medical leave of absence. Last week, we had Quentin Harris on the show. This week, we have the Arizona Cardinals vice president of pro personnel, who is the co-GM right now of the organization. Adrian Wilson joining us here on the Burns and Gambo show with Kellen Olson filling in. A-Dub, good to have you on the show. It has been a long, long time. I hope this phone call finds you well. Yeah, I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Let's let's start with the news of the day. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury making the announcement a couple hours ago. David Blau is going to get the start for you guys. Tell us a little bit about what went into that decision organizationally to have him get the start. Yeah, you know, I think with the coat, um, you know, having the concussion and being in the uh, concussion protocol, obviously we want to be careful with him and uh, make sure that his health is, you know, 100% um, going into any game, really, the rest of the way. And, um, you know, obviously we just wanted to make sure that we're doing the right things for Colt and, uh, you know, just just with health and safety and just making sure that we're protecting him. And, uh, you know, we just want to put the, the best player out there that can, you know, kind of get us through through the game. Adrian, across your time in the league, you've seen many quarterbacks been put in this type of position before the late starter, kind of getting a couple of days notice. What are the main things you want to see David focus on and just be attentive with during the start? Yeah, you know, I just think the operation of the offense, uh, getting into a good rhythm. Um, obviously not turning the football over, but just doing the things that, you know, we practice throughout the week. And uh, just making sure that, you know, we're, we're getting in good plays and, and putting ourselves in positive situations, you know, play after play. Obviously, the playoff situation, it is what it is. Your guys' record, it, it is what it is. In terms of evaluating, David, is that why it's him over Trace in a moment like this, just to give yourselves the opportunity to take a look at him? You know, I think everybody's getting evaluated at this at this point in time. Um, obviously, you know, we know what we have in Trace, and, you know, we want to get a good look at David and uh, just kind of see what we have there and uh, just kind of move on from there. Adrian, in terms of this game exactly, you mentioned everyone being evaluated, and, and we kind of saw this a bit on Hard Knocks this week, how everything was on the focus of not necessarily treating it like the season's over because the season is not over. You guys have two games left. What do you want to see the guys up and down the roster from your most important players to some of the guys who will be only getting a few snaps? What do you want to see them focusing on and, and trying to get in uh, for these two games? I mean, being a professional, I think that's the number one thing. I think uh, circulating throughout the locker room, you know, I think those guys get paid a lot of money. Um, to go out there and play a game on Sunday. And, you know, we want those guys to be professional, um, you know, take the game plan, take the things that we did throughout the week and apply it on Sunday and uh, try to go out there and get a win on Sunday. Given the situation you guys are in organizationally right now with the record, is that that hard or should it not be hard given that everybody is a professional, as you say? No, I think it comes down to pride. I don't think that's hard at all. Um, Obviously, you know, when you're in the situation that we're in, we're sitting at, you know, four wins um, on the season. Um, obviously, a lot of things can go into a player's mind in terms of, you know, going out there and playing hard on Sunday or whatever the case may be. But uh, being a professional should be something that you do every single day. And uh, that's what we expect in, the, in these last two games. Oh, I know Kellen and I are both chomping at the bit to ask you about some of the younger players and through your evaluator's eyes, kind of what you've seen from those guys. But before 
we do, since we're talking about it not being hard to be a professional, I, I got to get your reaction from one great defensive player to another. Your reaction to J.J. Watt's announcement earlier this week that he was going to retire from the game as a guy who played at a very, very high level and who left it all out there. What did you What did you think about his time here, and were you surprised by his announcement when he made it earlier this week? Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm surprised because he is playing at a high level, but I'm also happy for him because he is playing at a high level and going out on top uh, with the type of season that he has had uh, thus far. Um, you know, I, I just think with him being here for these past two years, I think the things that he brought into the locker room in terms of his leadership, the professionalism that he showed uh, week in and week out, um, the, the education that he gave some uh, younger defensive linemen uh, throughout the year, I think all those things played a huge part and a lot of those guys playing well uh, throughout this whole year. And uh, you know, obviously, we couldn't ask for anything more out of JJ from what he gave, from what he's given us. Um, he's been a true professional ever since he's been here. And uh, obviously, you know, you wish you had you know 100 JJs on your team or 100 Buddhas on your team. And uh, you know, we we're lucky to have those two guys. And you know, with JJ retiring, man, I just I just wish him the best of luck moving forward. Obviously, he had his new baby um, this year, and you know, he's going to spend a lot of time with with, with the new baby. And you know, hopefully, he's he's going to see what fatherhood is all about. <laughs> <laughs> to finish off the law pass that Burnsy threw up to me right there, uh, it's been really exciting to see Cameron Thompson and Maje Sanders start to impact the game on a consistent basis the last couple of weeks, both guys coming off their highest snap counts of the season. Uh, what have you seen from them in terms of the development for them to be in positions where they weren't playing as much at the start of the season to getting more looks now and starting to impact the game? Yeah, you know, it took those guys time. You know, I think early on throughout the year, I know, I know us up here, I, you know, everybody wanted to get a look at those guys. Everybody wanted to see them play uh, more snaps, but really the reality of it is, you know, those guys had to learn how to be pros. Those guys had to, you know, learn the, the ins and outs of the playbook and things like that and, you know, the game plan and you know, now now that they're getting more playing time you see the skill set that both those guys have you know, both those guys are third round picks and obviously we're expecting a lot of things uh, out of them for the future uh, but to see them go out there and make plays uh, week after week, especially over these last few weeks um, you can just kind of see uh, the maturity those guys have had throughout the year, uh, you know, just going to see these last, you know, two games of the season. Um, hopefully we can see more and more out of those guys and, and kind of get a better evaluation of what we have here for the future. Adrian Wilson, Arizona Cardinals Vice President of Pro Personnel, our guest here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Since we're on the topic of, of players and how you evaluate players, how have you evaluated the season Isaiah Simmons has had for you so far this year? You know, I think he's had a good year. You know, I think obviously whenever you, you know, draft a player that high, you you know, the expectations are super high for him. And, uh, you know, things, things have been a learning curve for Isaiah throughout throughout the year. Um, but, you know, I think overall he's had a great year. Um, obviously, you wish that, you know, the record was better so he can get a little bit more recognition and, and notoriety. But I think he's had a great year. Um, you know, moving forward, obviously, you know, you expect him to, to continue to grow and continue to learn uh, year in and year out. I think he took a huge step this year um, just in terms of his maturity, uh, his ability to kind of um, digest the game plan. Um, obviously, we play him in a lot of different spots, a lot of different areas, and uh, his workload is a lot different than a lot of other guys' workload just because of all the positions that he plays. Adrian, to stay in the same lane, Trey McBride has gotten many more opportunities, of course, ever since Zach Ertz went down. He's a guy that you guys drafted in the second round, had a lot of pressure on him, seen as the best tight end in his draft class, and it's been ups and downs for him through this rookie season. 
season. What's the next step you want to see him take to find more consistency? I think just you know just being able to really learn on the fly. I know that's that's kind of a, a, a weird thing to say, but you know every single every single week he's gonna get faced with different challenges. Whether he's you know inline blocker as a wide tight end, or if he's you know split out playing some in the slot, he's gonna get different matchups. Um, I think the next step for him is just really being able to maximize those matchups and being able to you know just just have some of the nuances of the game and just just being able to have some of those little things um, get put into his games that just makes you a better player overall. Adrian Wilson, our guest here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Looking forward to next year, your offensive line obviously is in a lot of flux. A lot of guys are free agents. Rodney might be contemplating retirement again this offseason. Josh Jones, what role do you anticipate him playing for you next year? And do you feel like organizationally he is ready for whatever role you're going to ask him to play next year? I mean, I think Josh has grown over, you know, over the, the course that he's been here as the Arizona Cardinal. Um, I think, you know, every single every single week, I think that he, he learned something new, new. Um, and some to add on to his game, just in terms of the guys that he's facing week to week. Um, obviously, he got put into a tough situation when DJ went down, and uh, I think he's been, you know, he's been playing great. He's been playing consistent. Um, you know, he's been doing all the things that the coaches have asked him to do. Um, and you know, I, I just think moving forward, I think it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to kind of see how he comes back um, for the all season. Um, obviously, you know, just like you guys said, we have a lot of offensive linemen that are free agents uh, going into next year. Um, and we just got to kind of see where, where it goes. Are there players that organizationally you guys kind of target and decide before the season ends or when you have a chance to that you want to re-sign before they hit the market? The two that obviously come to mind first and foremost are, are Zach Allen and, and Byron Murphy. Are, are those discussions ongoing? Have you had those discussions or is everything kind of on pause right now? I think every young guy that we have on our roster that, you know, is either going to be, you know, a part of our core uh, moving forward. Uh, I think those conversations happen daily. Um, obviously, it's a fluid uh, situation right now. Obviously, with the situation that we're in, yep. um, it's very fluid. But uh, all the young players that we have, I think we talk about those guys pretty much every single day. Um, obviously, when it comes down to contract extensions and those sorts of things, that's a different conversation uh, to have at a different day. But I can can those things get done right now with the, with the fluidity that the organization is going through right now or, or do those decisions kind of have to wait a little bit? I mean, I think everybody's still getting evaluated and okay. uh, we'll kind of just see where it goes at the end of the year. Yeah. Adrian, we appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on for a few minutes. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Good luck against the Falcons and uh, we look forward to talking to you in the future. All right, guys. Happy New Year. Thank, Thank you. You too. That was Adrian Wilson joining us here on the Arizona Sports Line. If you're headed to the college football semifinal at State Farm Stadium, get the party started at the College Football Hall of Fame free tailgate starting at 10 a.m. on the Great Lawn at Sportsman's Park. Music, food, beverages, special guests will make it a very memorable tailgate party for you. Admission is free. Starts at 10 a.m. on the Great Lawn at Sportsman's Park. When we come back, breaking Diamondbacks news that we're going to pass along and talk about what it means next. Burns and Gambo, Kellen filling in for Gambo. Arizona Sports, breaking news. In some ways, this one was very expected. It was just a question of when, because it's been out there in the rumor mill for a long, long time. 
John Heyman of the MLB Network is the first to report through his verified Twitter account that Evan Longoria has signed a one-year deal with the Arizona Diamondbacks. We haven't seen terms. We don't know money. He just tweeted out about 10 minutes ago, Evan Longoria to Diamondbacks, one-year deal. The reason I say this one's been out there a while, Kellen Olsen's filling in for, for Gambo here, is I've got a story that goes back to November 11th, basically a week or so after the World Series ended, from the great Nick Picoro over at azcentral.com, in which he and others reported that the Diamondbacks are looking at Evan Longoria. I remember Gambo confirmed it and said, oh yeah, absolutely, Longoria is a guy who is certainly on their roster, or at least on their, their radar, is what I meant to say. So this is one... It feels like, Kellen, it has been out there in the ether floating around for a couple of months. Uh, again, November 11th, the first day his name was kind of brought to us. And today they signed him. Uh, now, Heyman's the only one reporting it. I imagine we'll get confirmation a little later. Um, but it certainly seems like something we expected to happen happened. Yeah, to me, the Suns guy for three seconds, it reminds me of Eric Gordon, where it's just it made so much sense for so long. Like, we've been talking about third base for a while. We've been talking about a right-handed bat for a long time, and we know that this is not something where the Suns can go get Xander Bogarts and then move him to third or they can just get this really high profile name who makes a whole lot of money. Evan Longoria is still a high profile name but he's 37 years old in the twilight of his career right now. His OPS with the Giants is, has been somewhere around like 725, 730 slightly above average over the last four years specifically. Games played in the last three years 89, 81, 53 and, and more importantly Burns that you and I were kind of digging up the stats on this as you always do as D-backs fans did when they saw this Heyman tweet. Uh, the splits against left-handed pitching have been pretty encouraging for him in three years. I, we're talking about guy who got MVP votes earlier in his career, won Rookie of the Year, all that stuff, but he can still hit specifically against left-handed pitching. Yeah, and that's what they're asking to do. I mean, And the Diamondbacks have done the thing that we all expected them to do. How they went about doing it was always going to be a little bit of a mystery, but, but trying to take some of the emphasis away of being so left-handed hitting dominant like they've been, you know, trading uh, Dalton Varsho like they did a couple of days ago for the catcher from the Blue Jays organization, adding Guriel Jr. He's a right-handed bat. Now you add Longoria. He's a right-handed bat. All to try to achieve a little bit more of a balance in a lineup that was just so left-handed oriented. Every time you talk to Mike Hazen in the offseason, he would talk about needing to strike more of that balance. Now, Longoria, probably not going to play every day. It's going to be very much a platoon situation. At his age, you're going to want to protect him to a certain extent. I would imagine you'd see him at designated hit or two, depending on the matchup and depending on what they wanted to do. But the, like I said, this is one that's been in the works because they, they just need a little more from the right-hand side of the plate. And Longoria is a name that's been connected to him for a very long time. Yeah, and with the way the D-backs... Uh organization has kind of trended in the last two or three years. We're very familiar with those following the team, like fans, reporters, radio voices alike have been following. And have, we have a really good understanding of where the pipeline is at for the next couple of years. And, and there were a couple of positions that stood out more than others in terms of, okay, you're not so sure there in a couple of years. Third is one of them right now. They had nine different guys start okay. at third base. We played this game during the commercial break and I did not want to expose myself on the air <laughs> badly. The invitation. I, de- I declined I asked to, you to play complain. the game. And you were like, I can't come outside right now. My mom won't let me. Pretty much. Kellen's like, okay, we're going to play a game on the air where I'm going to ask you to name all nine guys who played third base for the Diamondbacks. I'm like, please don't. Please don't. <laughs> it's just going to embarrass me because I'm only going to be able to name like three or four. I'm going to go, oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, yeah. that The list 
is I just picture truly the, unremarkable. I just picture the Osmosis Jones thing. There's someone running around in your brain trying to find the file cabinet of like D-backs. Okay, third baseman. Okay, oh, yeah. where, 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 where did I file all the way down and back third baseman? Uh, Josh Rojas started 84 of those 162, but then you had Sergio Alcantara and Emmanuel Rivera each make 27, but after that, a couple for Yanni Hernandez, Raldo Pordomo, Jake Hager, Drew Ellis, Matt Davidson, and Buddy Kennedy. Jordan Luplo played a game at first. I don't know what exactly happened in that situation. To, yeah, like at, midway through the game, he, he got in there at third. I'm not exactly sure ah. what happened in that game. I'm sure there's a D-backs fan listening who remembers that game specifically. I cannot say that I do, but third base is one of those positions, Burnsley, and then catcher was too, and you look at what they did at catcher, picking up Gabriel Moreno, and then we're, we're talking in terms of looking at where they could use their assets the most in terms of money this offseason. I think we were all looking at pitching, right, for, for the most part. Bullpen, so, yeah. So this makes this makes sense. Makes sense no, it does. It, it makes sense, and, and honestly, at, it was like a month ago, there was a conversation about is it going to be Longoria or is it going to be Justin Turner and I don't know for some reason I just could not wrap my brain around <laughs> Justin Turner being a Diamondback I just I just couldn't my brain was rejecting even the vision the mind's eye of Justin Turner in a Diamondbacks uniform so uh, Longoria I don't know for whatever reason doesn't bother me as much as Justin Turner Justin Turner would have bothered, would have bothered the heck out of me it's going to be look no one's no one's promising greatness out of the Diamondbacks, but certainly the way last year ended, the way they performed at times last year, the way their younger guys got a little bit better as the season went along. I did think it was interesting, and, and I didn't haven't talked about this yet, but there was an MLB.com writer, and this was before Longoria. This was after the Varsho trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony... Castrovince, I think I'm saying is he's been there for a long time. I recognize the name. He was predicting the major award winners for 2023, and I, he was obviously you know let's go bold or go home. Zach Gallen as his National League Cy Young Award winner. Oh boy, Tori Lavello as his National League Manager of the Year Award winner. Whoa, those were his two predict. Now I think he was trying to go outside the box a little bit. Yeah. You know, like, let's let's not just say Max Scherzer. Let's not just say Justin Verlander. Let, let's, let's say somebody a little different. So I think he was trying to do something a little different, but just the fact that he would mention that suggests that there might be a hint of expectation in the year for the Diamondbacks this year. I think I have year. some. I have some as a fan of the team. I think I do, because... It, August and September, you remember, like, we would watch the latest guys stretch a single into a double, and you would just be like, these guys are so fun to watch right now, and I can't wait for the next couple of years. And it's a matter of, okay, when does fun to watch turn into really meaningful and, and winning games? And I think that it could come as soon as next year. I I found that uh, we, as as the Valley Sports uh, talking people, not just here, but but everywhere, I'm talking about the everyone Valley here. Sports the Valley people. Sports talking people. I tried not to do the Arizona sports hosts and reporters to put it down to them, so I'm talking about... Any Anyone who has a meaningful voice in Arizona sports culture, I, I suppose. I love that. That's great. I love this that. This is my way of saying I was not buying the incremental improvement of the Arizona Cardinals and the, and the the this win total to this total to this total. Here's your five-year extensions, guys, and all that kind of stuff. The Dimebacks, I see it. I see the incremental improvement happening, and I think all we're asking for, Bernsey, next year, not necessarily playoffs, but... Let's make a threat at 500 ball. You guys have got the talent to make a threat at 500 ball, and then maybe you can surprise some people if things click in the right direction. But I think everyone's really looking at this year just being another moment of growth, and then 2024 really being like the, okay, Corbin Carroll's two years in now. Lawler's called up. We've got Jones maybe coming this year, maybe next year. We've got the other guys who have developed more. I think that's when you kind of go in. Most of Mad Bum's contract is 
done. You've taken Nick another big swing. Ahmed, so yeah. you, you financially, you've got yourself some freedom to be able to do some stuff. Because I, I think that's why the Xander Bogart stuff, and I know Gambo shot it down 10,000 times because it never did make any sense to me. Um, I'm, I'm glad the Diamondbacks have done this before. I'm, I'm very up on the history of Diamondbacks baseball. Man, every time they think they're close, they go out, they do something big and loud and bold and strong, and they misread it. They misread how close they were, right? And I'm glad to see that even though they were showing these signs that we were talking about, they didn't do the big swing. This offseason, right? They didn't do the, ooh, we're close, so let's go spend a lot of money on this guy. Or, ooh, we're close, let's go trade for that guy. No, let's just keep slow playing this, keep slow building this, and know that our we're close, we got to go for it year is still a year or two down the road. I think that's the smart way to play it. I, I give my K's in a, a B or an A for this offseason so far, and it, so most of my checklist was, okay, figure out the outfield situation exactly and, and try and use that to your advantage, which he did wholeheartedly with the Moreno situation, which factors into another part of the checklist, figure out what's happening. A catcher, add some right-handed bats to the equation. I think that Gurriel was a really sneaky pickup in that sort of addition because Burnsy, they were one of those National League teams last year where you looked at DH and you were just like, man, who exactly is their guy on a nice night basis at this position? And, and they just got one. And, and Longoria will factor in there too. If his wrist is healthy, I think it's a good addition for him. I do, I do like that trade for the Diamondbacks. I really, really do, especially considering how most of their top prospects, they're close to the bigs and they're all up the middle of the field, catcher, shortstop, center field, right? The important kind of axis of where you need your power to be in baseball when you're talking about how you want a roster build. I think that's the right alignment for them. Buy your stock now. Yeah, yeah. Buy it because the price is low. You can, I think you can buy. Now, it's always going to be tough in a division where everyone's spending $400 million on their rosters. But but this is the way you've got to compete against those teams. You have to be the raise to everybody's else, their Yankees or the Reds. Socks. That's what you have to do in this. We just talked about the Diamondbacks bolstering their roster, not taking a big swing. The Suns need to bolster theirs. Should they take a big swing? And is tonight's opponent one to watch when it comes to that? It's coming up. Burns and Gambo. Kellen filling in. Burns and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Which, by the way, real quick, that uh, Blaine Gabbert story, you got to click on, the, on that link and read that story. That's a that's crazy. He's out there tooling around on his jet ski, a helicopter crashes, and he uses his jet ski to help the victims to safety. We it's, all say we would act in that moment, but there are people who act in that moment. Yeah. He acted in that moment. Credit to him. That, that's I read that story this morning, and it's hard not to be impressed with that. Kellen Olsen's in for Gambo here on the Burns and Gambo on Burns and Gambo show here on this Friday. Suns Raptors tonight at 530. You'll hear it on the Arizona Sports app, ESPN 620. And once again, in many ways for the second straight game, though not as obvious as it was a couple of nights ago, because there have been far more direct rumors involved between the Suns and the Wizards when it comes to Kyle Kuzma or Rui Hachimura or guys like that. It's not quite as blatant and it's not quite as obvious, but make no doubt, make no mistake, that this Raptors team, the Suns are playing tonight at 5.30, this team might be a breath or two away from going, you know what, on second thought, 
let's start pawning off some pieces. Let, let's let's put the for sale sign up and let's see what we get. And one of the there's a lot of names on this roster to be intrigued by. Mm-hmm. Uh, very few of them have the credentials that one Pascal Siakam. I'm sure it's really has. annoying being in the front office of the Raptors right now because you're getting a text from 15 different teams a day just being like, "Hey, how's the vibe? How's it going? Yeah, how's it going? Just check. Have you guys imploded yet?" Hey. You guys, is your locker room on fire yet? Just curious, asking for a friend, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm sure they're getting a lot of asking for a friend texts right now. How's your for, wife doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. But, but I mean, Zach Lowe, we mentioned this earlier in the show. Zach Lowe, noted NBA insider from ESPN, he wrote about this three weeks ago to say buzzers are circling. I mean, they're, they are, they see the Raptors. They see that it's not going well. You described it earlier as a clear DEFCON 1 kind of situation where it's time to turn the key, launch the missile, and blow the whole thing up. And from a Suns perspective, Kellen, I don't, we've had so many conversations about these trades they could make, trades they will, they won't make. I gotta think the Raptors are a team that if you're, if you're narrowing your search down to teams that have decided we're not in it anymore, we're done, you kind of have to start there. And Toronto's got a lot of players on its team that I would think you'd be interested in if they decide to turn their key and launch their missiles. Yeah, so the, the quick spiel on it essentially is that from a roster construction standpoint and from a coaching standpoint, they seem to be at their wits end. Uh, they built a roster really built around 6'8", six, 6'9", six, 6'10", six, guys with really long arms. They basically have three guards on their roster, maybe a center or two, and it's just a bunch of wings. And, and they really bought into that type of play through a defensive-minded coach and Nick Nurse who does some brilliant things defensively and offensively. He's very innovative in that regard. But you know, Bernsey, if you run the same stuff enough for long enough in any of these leagues, everyone's going to catch up eventually. doesn't matter how unconventional it is. And it seems like a lot of his defensive stuff and spe- specifically has caught up to them offensively. They're an isolation-heavy team. They have an awesome player in Pascal Siakam we're going to talk about. But other than that, in terms of isolation scores, they don't really have that many guys to fit that system. So the fan base has been calling on just a change in both the roster construction philosophy and the systematic philosophy of just the way they run stuff offensively. So then you take this into consideration, the fact that they've lost eight of their last 10, 13 of their last 19, and you see the things Nick Nurse says after a game. And and this would be one thing, right, if it was the Suns, but... The Suns have a bunch of really, really good guys under long-term contracts. Cam Johnson should be another one coming here pretty soon. Mm -hmm. Pascal Siakam is an unrestricted free agent in 2024. Fred Van Vliet has a player option for next year. OG and Anobi has two more years left before his player option leaves. There's a reality in which they end two seasons from now. They go into the 2024 summer and Siakam, Van Vliet, Anobi, and Gary Trent Jr. could all be gone as free agents. That is something that could happen. So you know in the NBA far better than I do, when you're a year or two away, you got to be three or four years ahead of that. Essentially, you need to... So Toronto, for the last 18 months, I guarantee, has looked at these kind of dates and been like, okay, like if we trade Pascal now as opposed to next deadline, we're going to get a lot more right now. If we trade Gary Trent Jr. now or Fred VanVleet now, we could lose them for nothing in the summer. Nothing. Zilch. So with your team trending in this direction, even though you have been very successful under Nick Nurse for the most part, you won 48 games next year, you got to consider it. So that's when, Burnsy, the Kevin Durant thing is what it is. He is a perimeter player shooting 56% from the field. I feel like I have to say that out loud every time he's mentioned anywhere. Like he is shooting 56% from the field. He primarily takes jump shots Mm -hmm. and he is shooting like a below average center would. It is insane to me. He's an MVP candidate. Brooklyn's rolling. 
not that that ship has sailed necessarily because you know that situation. It could, any point it could turn. At any point it could turn. But this is where we move on and we say, okay, what about Bradley Beal in Washington? What about Damian Lillard? And you're kind of looking around at the other stars who could become available. I think the one guy that makes the most sense compared to anyone that could be available is Pascal Siakam. And he is someone who some casual basketball fans listening might not be very familiar with him. I remember him from the finals run and him being pretty good. He is an all-NBA player. He has been twice, and he's going to make a third all-NBA team this year again. He yeah. is phenomenal. He is phenomenal. He's he's, uh, And I'm glad you mentioned that about Kevin Durant, in part because I feel like these these stories and these teams are linked. I felt like every Kevin Durant conversation we had all summer long, it just felt like Toronto, watch out for Toronto. What is Toronto going to do? Are they going to get in on the Kevin Durant thing? And obviously they didn't and nobody else did. I do believe the Kevin Durant Durant ship has sailed. I, I think that that f- not that it was Steve Nash's fault. It wasn't, but that that those waters have really calmed. I, I mean, to the point where you know they're rolling. He's playing at a ridiculously high level. They're winning. They're showing themselves to be at a level where maybe they can compete with Boston and Milwaukee for Eastern. And as long as that is going on and everybody's happy, there's no reason to take a stick of dynamite to that team. So if you're ready to move on from Kevin Durant to say, okay, it's probably not going to happen anytime soon, yeah, your eye starts wandering to other potential superstars. And I think that's where people listening to us right now might go, Pascal Siakam as an NBA superstar, not in the Kevin Durant Dame Lillard kind of vein where they're making commercials and they're they're on the highlight shows every night. But he's good. He's really he's the kind of guy where you start dreaming of post prime Chris Paul. How can you keep this thing going a little bit? Can I can I go for And I think of a guy like him. If they get him there the favorites for the title. I would say he's that good. If they get him, they're the favorites for the title. I don't care if it includes one of the three of DeAndre and Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, they're the favorites for the title. He's that good. 27 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists per game, shooting 48% from the field, about 52% on his twos, which is pretty elite stuff when you consider how much of this he's doing on his own, shooting 78% at the line. To contextualize those numbers a little bit more, looking at guys over the course of the history of the league who have averaged 25 points per game, and when looking at total rebound percentage and assist percentage, so that means the percentage of your team's rebounds and assists you are getting, looking at his numbers, which are 12 for his total rebounding percentage and 31 for his assist percentage, six guys have ever done that in the league, ever. And, and only four of them are doing it this year. And the names are Nikola Jokic, Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, James Harden, Luka Doncic, and Giannis. That's it. In the history of the league, we're talking about that. And by the way, we've been talking about free throws a lot. Eight and a half free throws a game, this guy. He's elite at getting to the foul line this year. Yeah. Anytime you're averaging over five free throws a game, that means you have a legitimate skill. Anytime you're getting into the seven, eight, nine range, that means you are elite at getting to the line. And he does that. And by the way, tremendous defensive player, too. Him and Mikel Bridges together. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. The, the way that they would be able to shut down perimeter options. He is a star. There, there are all these draft picks that you've got. We talked about everything you'd be willing to give up, should have been willing to give up to get a Kevin Durant. Uh, no one's putting Siakam in that category, but I think if you're talking about a broad conversation about guys you'd be willing to say, here's our war chest of things we have that we can give up, who should we spend it on? I'm putting Pascal Siakam in that club. I'm putting him in that group. Is it this offseason? Is it this trade? Is it? Is it? Can it happen in time to save 
this season or is it, you know, or is this more of a next season? What, two years left on his contract after this, Give right? Him the Chris Paul money when Chris Paul is gone, that type of thing. Yeah. So it's kind of a trade for him. And then when Chris pulls off your books, okay, Pascal, we're going to give you the monster contract extension. It's you because Pascal, he, how old is he? He's 26, 27. He's older. He's 28. Is he 28? Okay. Came out of the draft a couple years out of New Mexico. Okay. But even then, so you're getting. For if you sign him to an extension, you're getting four prime years of his yes. basketball life. Oh yeah, right. With combined with four prime years of Devin Booker's basketball life, and then whoever is left that you don't have to trade to get him among McCam, Mikel, or DeAndre Ayton, and then whatever draft picks you don't have, that becomes your post Chris Paul. Let's go get it plan. I just don't know if it happens. Now at the deadline, or if it happens at the end of the season, that I don't know. But he is right to your point on Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard looking at it a different way. He is like, if we get the tweet that like the Toronto Raptors are exploring trades for Pascal Siakam, that is the go 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 like go, go call them now. Yep. One more parallel between these two teams. Let me know if this headline sounds familiar. Pascal Siakam is the only player keeping the Raptors from true hopelessness. <laughs> Put that together with the other hopelessness guy in Devin Booker. That's, that sounds familiar. And all of a sudden, there's no more hopelessness. Yeah, yeah. It, it's you gotta you don't have to scour. Scour is not the right word, but you always have to be ready for guys like this to become a. I mean, how many? We had the Kevin Love conversation for five years, right? We had the we had the D'Angelo Russell conversation for three years. You always are on the lookout for the next guy who's gonna be gone, and Pascal be ready. Ready. feels like he's the next guy who's gonna be yeah. gone when it's all said and done. Well, it's been a rocky year for the world of Arizona sports, and now that we're at the end, we look back and say, what were some of the best moments in 2022? That's next, Burns and Gambo. And Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. It occurred to me until this morning at some point during show prep where I was at home, I thought, oh yeah, this is the last show of 2022. This is it. Honored to be here. How about that? Taking us out with a bang. Kellen Olson filling in for Gambo today in the final edition of the Burns and Gambo show in our calendar year 2022. This is it. And so it's it's trite, it's cliche, but at the same time, it does kind of give you this moment to go, okay, we did this at ArizonaSports.com, and honestly, that was sort of my inspiration for proposing this today. Um, I don't know if it was Kellen or, or whomever over at ArizonaSports.com, you would know better than I. Who uh, put Torrance to- Dunham. Was it Torrance who did this? Yeah, Torrance okay. did, yeah. Put together the list of the most read stories at ArizonaSports.com. In 2022. And they organized it by month. It's a nice slideshow. I highly recommend that you go check it out because it'll certainly jog the memory a little bit. I'm not going to go through every single one. I'm not going to tell you what all the top read stories are. But I do think we're going to have a couple of conversations today about what our favorite stories were of 2022 and what our worst stories of 2022. The worst stories is going to be a robust segment. There was a lot of crap that went wrong in Variety 2022. Bag. Seriously, I mean, it, it, let's not mince works. There was a lot of crap that went wrong in 2022. You went to Hollywood Arizona Video, Sports. the Variety Bag, 99 Cent VHS, just grab a movie out of there. What are we watching What tonight? are we watching tonight? Crap. That's what we're Which watching Arizona tonight. Which Arizona Cardinals thing do you want to talk about? The tonight? much more difficult question is what went right in 2022. What were our favorite stories to cover or favorite things 
things to talk about. Um, as a gracious host, and since you're filling in Thank for Gambo, I'm going to start with you. What is the story for you where you where, that resonates the most positively from 2022? Uh, my favorite thing that I covered, and that's kind of the way I took this, was Game 6 in New Orleans. I was there. Uh, I saw the masterpiece from Chris Paul, 14-14, but it was just the way the beginning to end of the series uh, compounded with the day. Uh, I showed up about three, three and a half hours before the game started because I'm a psychopath. They only let us in two and a half hours for Suns. So I'm like, I want to be there even earlier. I walk in. Guess who's warming up all along getting ready for next year? Zion Williamson. I see him throw down a couple 360 windmills, and I'm like, oh boy, that guy's coming. He's not coming in this series, but he's coming. Then I'm sitting uh, I'm sitting baseline watching guys warm up, uh, as I typically do, sitting next to Lena Washington of 12 News. Staring at her, I see red shirts in the background. I'm like, I'll be right back. Two guys with FJ Crowder shirts on. I'm like, hey guys, can I get a picture? <laughs> hey guys, sure. Do you mind? So I take the picture of the guys, and then Jared Jack, an assistant coach uh, on the Suns, who is one of the nicest guys I watch around the team on a team full of very nice guys. He's the coach who will always spot a kid. At one point, no one was warming up because the Suns were resting a bunch of guys, so he brought a kid on the court and played one on one with him for five minutes. Like he's he's the greatest guy. That he was talking a bit to the guy and was like, come on, man. Like that's just disrespectful and rude. Uh, someone else had a different reaction. That was Devin Booker. The moment he saw it, it was the biggest I've seen him smile, maybe, in my life. Like, it was like the... When he saw the FJ Crowder shirt. Yeah, you know how the shark smiles in Finding Nemo? It was kind of like that. It was like, oh man, like, they're they're in trouble tonight. Friends, not food. (laughs) Of course, as the story goes, Book tells Jared Jack, hey, go see if they're laying around. And then, sure enough, at their seats, they weren't there at their seats. They would left a couple of the extra shirts. They didn't just have the ones on their back. Jared Jack grabs a couple to save them for after the game, just in case. And then the game unfolds as it does Burnsy, which is a I do not remember it being as close of a game. I showed you the video. Like, under two minutes left. They're down one. Devin Booker, it's a huge three. Huge three. New Orleans in the first half dominated in the same places they did, and this was a team that they trapped Brandon Ingram and finally shut him down that game, but I mean, Jose Alvarado, Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, those three rookies, they were still fearless. There was still an intensity in that environment that I haven't felt since from just the two teams and the fan base perspective. Obviously, the finals trumps that I was in Milwaukee for that. But then, of course, Chris Paul, you're just watching him do things. They were down 10, I believe, at halftime. Even in the third, fourth quarter, they were battling back, trying to just get control of that game. Chris Paul does the perfect thing. We go post game. Jay Crowder sits down, has the FJ Crowder shirt on, smiles at us, and asks us, what's so funny? <laughs> Best quote of the year. One of my favorite yeah. stories. The Willie Green, Monty Williams links in there. The Chris Paul to New Orleans link. Him getting booed and chants against Chris Paul in there. It had everything for a playoff series. And then to watch the basketball in of itself, to watch Chris play one of the best games in Suns postseason history, uh, it was special. I was glad. I was really glad I was there for a myriad of reasons. Yeah, that was a magical night, that 14 for 14. And I'm glad you, you reminded me about the Devin Booker shot because I think I would have forgotten gotten that i've got two um and it's it's a tie and and they're 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 probably both going to sound strange um one in particular the first one in particular the story that brought me the greatest joy all year long i don't cover games the way you Mm -hmm. do i talk about things on the air the thing i had the most fun talking about all year long was the pursuit of kevin durant yeah the the day that came out three and, hours and, before and, free agency and just started. the 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 heart rate that you, that I had as a host, like okay, we get to speculate about whether Kevin Durant's coming to the house. And for a while, a while there, there was a window there where he thought, 
holy crap, this is going to happen. Like, at some point in the next... Oh my gosh, Kevin Durant's going to be able to wait. Chris Haynes is reporting that the Suns are a front-runner for Kevin yeah. Durant. It was, just, it was just this It was this dream come true if you're a host, and frankly, a dream come true if you're a Suns fan, to think that this organization is elevated to the level where Kevin Durant is choosing it. Kevin Durant wants to come here. Where do you put the banner? On the northwest side of the building? The northeast side? Where do you put it? Now, eventually, we all got tired of it. Eventually, mm-hmm. Kevin Durant fatigue set in. For some of us, it took longer than others. And obviously, the resolution of the story was very unsatisfying because he didn't come here. But in those initial days, in those initial hours, Man, I could have talked about Kevin Durant coming to the Suns for hours and hours and hours because it was so much fun. Number two, only because it represented the end of a short story, but also a very long story. The day when it was announced that Robert Sarver was selling the Suns or the Suns were being sold, Mm -hmm. I suppose. Mm -hmm. That to me was... Just for everything involved, you know, the year long investigation leading up to it, the decade long of, you know, where where the mismanagement and how things were being right. Everything about it was just it it was just always this elephant in the room where it was just so tough to embrace sometimes to have all that lifted in one moment. That to me was like if we're talking about things that happened that I'll remember from 2022 in a positive light, that moment right there was one that I would put on my list. Very well said, my friend. Uh, To go rapid fire through some other teams, I think for the Cardinals specifically, I thought the Hollywood Brown trade was pretty exciting. Just the level of go-for-itness, I I guess I will phrase it as. Now, it hasn't really worked out, of course, but at the moment we're thinking, wow, DeAndre Hopkins is going to be open even more. Hollywood Brown, the deep threat we've been asking for, that kind of line. And then the second round, they go grab Trey McBride in a luxury pick, looking at a tight end who has not worked out to this point. But to say the least, you were just thinking of the offensive firepower. Okay, Rondale Moore is going to be healthy. He's going to be more in that Christian Kirk role. Like, I started to get find myself getting excited again by the Cardinals when I wasn't al- going to allow myself to. Yeah, I-, I loved the second half of the Diamondback season. We saw Zach Allen really just, I mean, go on a tear. And then right alongside him was Merrill Kelly. And now you head into 2023, and you kind of look at that as a legitimate one-two over rotation. Corbin Carroll starts to make some plays. It's like, if you watch a week of Diamondbacks baseball, if you tune in for the five or six games you're going to play a week, you are going to see three plays by Alec Thomas or Dalton Varsho in the outfield that are going to make you go, wow. You're going to say something when you're alone watching the game. I'm going to add two more real quick. Number one, the Kenny Dillingham press conference. Just the press conference. Okay, I understand it's a long road. We don't even know the punishments yet. I I don't think it's going to turn around in a year or maybe even two. I think it's going to take a while. That press conference was remarkable theater. I mean, it really, and I'd say theater like he was acting. It wasn't acting. It was him and who he is and what he's about. That was the most rally the valley kind of moment that program could have when he did that. And then number two, and we saw it again last night, Man, this mullet arena thing is legit. I'm going into weeks. It's fun. It's a thing. Vince Vaughn is there, you know, on the glass, and Michael Phelps is there. They're beating the Toronto Maple Leafs, and it's, it's, I didn't, it has been such a rousing success, them playing in a building that seats just under 5,000. I don't think anybody could have, in their wildest dreams, could have imagined it would work as well as it has. Anybody. Two more quick ones. Go for it. Brittany Griner coming home. Self-explanatory. I thought about that one, of course. There's yes. that in there. Uh, and then 
Man, that first year of Tommy Lloyd basketball down south, baby. It looks pretty great. It's looking pretty great for us. Uh, I'm enjoying myself. Many people just unfollowed you on Twitter right yeah, now. If yeah. you listen close, you can hear all of them unfollowing you on Twitter right now here in the Valley. <laughs> when we come back on the Burns and Gambo Show, it is 4 o'clock, the midway points of the Burns and Gambo Show, which means we've caught up in everything going on in sports. The 4 o'clock reset is next here on Arizona Sports.